0: And all of my exciting thoughts for you, and uh, God's good, amen? Turn to the person next to you and tell them how much you appreciate them. Give them a grateful thing right now. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Doesn't it feel good to be appreciated? You know, the worst thing is to not feel appreciated. You know, you just got to kind of keep going and doing, but you're going to do it anyway. But boy, when you know you're appreciated, it just makes things so much better. Well, I appreciate you all. We pray for you every day, Dwayne and I do. And uh, for the body of Christ in general, and the New Horizon body in particular. And every time a little face pops up in front of me, I pray for you. So uh, that would be you. Yes, you. You pop up in my head all the time. So God is good, and uh, he has us knit together. In an amazing way, I am so glad I don't have to, do live, uh, to live life by myself. But I've got all of you, and that's uh, good. All right, well, let's get into Romans, and let's pray over the word. Father, in Jesus' name, our God, I pray right now that you would silence any carnal minds in this room and on this platform. I pray right now that you would hush every fleshly voice in this room and on this platform. And Father God, I pray right now over the next 30, 40 some odd minutes that your Holy Spirit would come down and intermingle with us. That's the miracle of your church. And Father God, I pray that we would, in our humanity, fade away and that your Holy Spirit would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's get started. Our God is a God of perfect love. Perfect love. Who desired relationship from the beginning with his created and has continued in his noble pursuit in spite of our betrayal, our rejection, and our disobedience. We, being unholy, Unrighteous and sinful, found, our, found ourselves unreconcilably separated from our very perfect, our very holy Creator God. The expanse between us was immo- immeasurable. Surrounded us, surrounded with death, suffering, chaos, violence. And completely incapable of even on our best day to rejoin perfection. God's perfect love in his relentless pursuit of us made a way, the only way possible to reconcile us to himself. God being absolutely perfect. In love and in holiness and in compassion, sought us, yearned for us, cried for us, panted after us, desired us. Yet, our God, who is compassionate and love and filled with holiness and greatness, is also a God of justice. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4 says, He is the rock. His works are perfect, for all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is He. Our God is a just God. Psalm nine four. the strength of the king loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. So now I want you to understand more of the attributes of who God is. We have spent so much time expounding on the fact that he is love and he loves perfectly. And his object of affection is you. His object of affection is you. You are the one he pants after. You are the one he loves. You are the one that he wakes up in the morning, if he ever slumbers or sleeps. But if he were to take a moment, I don't know if he ever does, but you would be the first thought on his mind, you. For you are the object of his affection, you. And his compassion and his holiness. But today we're going to add another attribute to him, and it is his justice. So for God, as, as for God, he is, his heart, his love for humanity and his compassion for his created is also involved in our spirits in such a way that he's very aware of our brokenness and of our sin. Father God in heaven hates sin. He hates it with a passion. Because sin destroys his very object of affection. He hates it with a passion. A vehement passion. So strongly does God hate the very thing that destroys you. His object of affection. It's that that his, he's, he's moved to a new thing. Not just moved with compassion. But he's moved in wrath. Against all that would harm and destroy his object of affection. The wages of our sin is death. Perfect love cannot be perfect without justice. Think about that for a moment. Perfect love cannot be perfect love without justice. We like to think about God's perfect love and his compassion. But our Father God in heaven is more than just compassion, He is a just and equitable God. If a man here on earth beats another man, steals from him, harms him, he is arrested. And he's taken in for his crimes and he must must then appear before the court, before the judge. And what if that man who took the very precious things of another human being and beat that human being and and was so evil and so awful. What if that man was brought before the court and before the judge and, and the victims are sitting over here and the man approaches the judge and the judge looks at him and says, you know, you're a pretty good guy. I, I, I really feel sorry for you. I feel bad for you. It, you know what? You just, just go ahead and go on home. I'm just going to... You, you're fine. That's compassion for that man. But what about the victim? There is no... Compa- Can you imagine being the victim watching that happen? Are you kidding me? What? He doesn't feel compassion from that judge. He feels inequity from that judge. It's not fair. It's not right. For God is woven inside of us. We carry justice inside of us. You are made in his image. So the inside of us cries out for justice in this situation. So how can God perfect love, perfect love, we can understand flowing in compassion but he also must flow in justice if he will be called perfect love for a complete and righteous acquittal of the guilty there has to be justice what is justice justice is a system of rewards and punishments to bring equity. That's what it says in Webster. Justice is a system of rewards and punishments that, that, that brings equity. And the, the visual that we get constantly, especially in our courtrooms and that kind of thing, and it comes from different uh, passages, actually, in the Bible that talks about justice being seen as a set of weights, you know, a balance so there's a holding up here and, and chains that go down and plates and, 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 and it has to balance out. There has to be justice. It has to be even. It, has to, it brings equal, equity. And wherever there is justice in a situation, when justice is served, the immediate following thing is peace. If I have an issue with you, you ran into my car. You scratch my car. That's not nice. I like my car, and it costs a lot of money for me to fix my car, and I need my car fixed. So we need justice. So all of a sudden, the balances are out of balance. And if you come to me and say, man, I'm so sorry about that, that, that your repentance kind of brings the justice back. But you know what? You hand me $500 to go fix my car, or you take my car and go fix it, all of a sudden, bam, equity, peace. I can see you again at the store and I'll still like you. But if you don't, I'm going to have to walk around going, you owe me 500 bucks. That's cost me 500 bucks. Hello, how are you? You know, you know how you kind of get, you kind of shove that, but equity brings, justice brings peace. And that's what, have you ever heard of the justice of the peace? That's where that frame phrase comes from. So the justice of the peace was a magistrate placed in communities across England. It started in England or somewhere over in there a long time ago. And that justice of the peace was someone of high character that if you had an issue with somebody, you guys would meet at the justice of the peace and he would come to justice and bring peace between them. Justice, peace always follows justice. If you don't have justice, you don't have peace. Do you see the relationship? And God, his throne is built on justice. And justice is extremely important to God. So a just God must judge our sins. A just God must judge our sin. But God is not only just, he is still compassionate. So a compa- so a just God must judge my sin. A compassionate God then comes and wants to repair and to set us free. So God is this two-sided, very opposite things going on in his head, in his heart. But God is perfect. Justice alone is harsh and unrelenting, and it requires payment. Justice alone. Compassion alone can sometimes become sloppy, soft, and allow anything to happen, good or bad. compassion alone. Now we're seeing these two things from our human side and our human viewpoint, our human glasses. Don't you love glasses? Oh brother. I wish I didn't have to have them. But we see things through our human perspective, but God is perfect in these. God's justice is perfect. And God's compassion is perfect. And there is a place where God's justice and his compassion meet. It's a very serious, very amazing place where his incredible justice, perfect justice, and his compassion come together. And that place is the cross. For you see, our sin screams for justice. And only a sacrifice or a payment of the highest value is enough to tip the scales. Yet God's compassion for me and his love for me. He realizes what the the cost will exact from me. And he loves me. And so God's compassion and his justice meet at a very strategic point at the cross open your bibles to romans 3 we're going to get to romans now you say 3 wait a minute we got to finish romans i'm backing up just a hair cuz we got to get a run and start romans 3 romans 3 verse 23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Going on. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. That verse, verse 24, says redemption. How many of your Bibles say atonement? Does anybody's Bible say atonement there? Some of the Bibles will say atonement. I see a few hands around there. Atonement. God presented him as a sacrifice, this is verse 24, of atonement through faith in his blood. So, what we have here is a statement that we are all sinners. And we fall very short from the glory of God, and yet we are justified freely by his grace and compassion, I'm going to add in there, through the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. On the cross, God sacrificed his son for atonement. What does atonement mean? An atonement always means complete payment. So write down in your notes, atonement, complete payment, paid in full. The only way that we can satisfy God's justice for our sin is for us to spend eternity in hell. That's what hell is there for. That, after an eternity of paying for my sin in hell... The, the weights, the, the balances are equaled. There is not one service, act of service, community service, that we can render, render to appease the holy wrath or satisfy holy justice for my sins. There's not one gift I can offer. There's not one big enough pile of money that I could give to pay. There's no sacrifice that I could ever imagine. For my sin is so vast and so deep and so encompassing that according to Romans twenty 3 verse 25 there, God had to present him, as in Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement. I had nothing in my hand, in my ability, in my life, in my possession that was enough for me to pay for my injustices. I was perfectly incapable. The only way I could make up for the sin in my life, for the rebellion that I feel at times, For the lies I've spoken, for the the things I've stolen, for the hurt I've caused, for the selfishness I've walked in, for the disobedience and rebellion that I have walked in myself. The only way I could pay for that is, is to spend an eternity in hell suffering to pay for it. God in his compassion, yet in his justice, he has to have our sins paid for. He wants us so close to him. Perfectly holy, perfectly, perfectly pure to bring us who are so broken near to him there has to be justice rendered. And God knew that we couldn't do it. So verse 25 says that God Presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Turn over to Leviticus 17, verse 11. Why the blood? Why blood? That's a messy business. How about red ink? Just stamp my little heart with your red ink that says forgiven and we're fine. Why the blood? Why blood? Why blood? Why does blood have to be shed? Why is the wages of sin death and the spilling of blood? Why blood, blood, blood? That's such a bloody messy business. Leviticus 17, verse 11. God explains something very, very important. For the life of a creature is in the blood. For I have given it to you to make an atonement for yourself on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. There's something very spiritual and mystery, mysterious about the fact, the way God created humanity and animals and everything, that we have this blood flowing within us. Where is your life? What makes the difference between dead and alive? It's a very interesting philosophical question. And, and the great minds of today don't know where life is. What is it? What is it? As you're laying there, you're watching someone lay there and expire, dying. They're breathing their last breath. What leaves them? Their body does not look a thing different, but their spirit leaves, it, leaves them. Their life. And the body that they used to animate and walk around will immediately then begin to decay. There's a thing called life inside of us. It's the Ruah of God, the breath of God that is in us. And this portion here says that your blood, the blood of of a human being, of, of a living thing, carries the life in it. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. I don't understand it. But that is how God placed it here. And so from the very beginning of time, from the moment Adam and Eve sinned, God took an animal and slayed it, spilt its blood. And that blood gave atonement, covering, paid the sin, paid the debt for Adam and Eve's sin. And from that time forward, whenever man would come before God, they would bring a sacrifice, an offering A lamb, a ram, a a dove, whatever it was. And they would cut cut it and kill it and spill the blood. and, And the person bringing it would lay their hands on it. And it would be a transference of that shedding of that blood for the covering of their sins. There was atonement made. And this wasn't even just in the Jewish religion. Pagan religions did this too. So really from Adam and Eve onward... All of humanity for many, many, many hundreds and thousands of years, that's how they worship their God. The spilling of blood. The spilling of blood never took away their sins, it, it just kind of covered them up. It, it paid the price for that moment, for that week, for whatever they did. But God looking at us and saying, okay, time is enough. Time is enough. We've got to get this taken care of. And and when the time was right, God sent Jesus Christ to the earth as a human being. Why did Jesus have to come as a human being? So he'd have some blood. Let that sink in. Not only did he walk this earth and experience everything we experienced, he was now something that God the Father and God the Holy Spirit wasn't. He had something they didn't have. He had blood circulating in his body. And he lived life so perfectly and so wonderfully, and he did not have one shred of rebellion, not one shred of disobedience, that he was the perfect human being. So when Jesus Christ died and he shed his blood, perfect atonement was made. Perfect payment, perfect payment. Do you understand that God knew we couldn't do it? (sighs) We couldn't pay the price, we couldn't do it. So God did it himself for us. So this place, this place, this amazing place, this place that we sing about and we talk about and for thousands of years we've talked about and talked about and it's been, we, everyone has a cross. I saw this morning one of the Biza boys has a cross around his neck. This cross, this place of the cross. I want you to see this place of the cross as a place where the very, very perfect whole justice of God meets the comp- incredible, complete compassion of God, and there hung Jesus on the cross. And that cross is planted firmly in the ground, and the foundation that that cross is found, built upon, is a foundation we call mercy. Mercy is the place where complete, whole, and perfect justice meets complete, whole, and perfect compassion. It's a place of mercy. Why do you say it's a place of mercy? Because a place of mercy feels the pain and distress of another. That's the compassion side. And does something about it. That's the justice side. That's mercy. Mercy is the compassion and forgiveness shown towards whom it is shown shown towards whom it is in one's power to punish. That's what mercy is. It's as if we now enter the courtroom. The judge is standing up, and he sits down at his, his place, and we enter the courtroom. And the Bible says at the end of every life, there is that appearance before the judgment seat of Christ. And we walk into the judgment. We walk into our court date. This is our date. It's been coming. We know it's coming. And we walk up to the judge. And the judge looks at us, and he pulls out our file. Some of our files are quite thick. All of your shortcomings, small, medium, and large. For every word will be given accounted for. Every thought, every action will be given accounted for. You know, sometimes we think, well, I'm good enough. I'm good most of the time. But in that account, it's everything. It's everything good and bad. Every word spoken, every thought, every action, every deed. I hate to tell you this. I don't want to get you depressed. And as he pulls out our file and he begins reading through it, we look at him and he looks at us. And all of a sudden, there's a realization. That judge is our Father, who created us. And our eyes lock. And he's holding our file. But his eyes are locked upon us. In love. He remembers the day you were created. He remembers the day you were, you were conceived in, in the womb of your mother. He remembers that and he remembers writing all of the days of his, of our life on a book and he remembers desiring and, and creating our destiny and he remembers the problem that he forsooth, foresaw that was coming that he needed us to be prepared to be. And he remembers that moment. And his eyes are looking at us through the great compassion of love. Yet he holds our file. And we look at him, and we're bare. We're bare. There's nothing to hide. Everything is known. Everything is seen. And we're looking into the eyes of our almighty Godfather, who loves us so much. Yet he holds our file. And what happened at the cross was in that moment, he looked at you, And he thought and knew that there was no way that you were going to be able to bear what it would take to cleanse you from that file. And he stood up, and he took off his robe, and he came down, and he took your sentencing. He said, I'll do it. You find yourself at that moment. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine the horrors that you're facing? Yet at this moment, he's willing to take on the horror for you on the cross. And you're just standing there. What is going through your mind? What is going through your heart? What is there is mercy. That's what mercy feels like. Mercy is the biggest relief. Mercy is the biggest. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Mercy has this thing inside of us where it takes our misery and it exchanges. Mercy will funnel our our miseries through it and turn it into joy. Mercy is a place of an amazing, it's an amazing place. Anybody ever felt mercy? What motivates mercy? Compassion. What validates mercy? Justice. Because God didn't just look at you and say, oh, it's okay. No, there was, there was literally hell to pay for the things that you've done and that we've all done. So God didn't just, in his compassion, say, it's okay. He paid the penalty. He did it. He sent his son, his beloved, precious son, to pay the price for you. When you were yet a sinner. So God's mercy is a perfect mercy because within it holds perfect justice. So I want you to now flip over in Romans to chapter 11. Wait a minute, Joel. Last week you did chapter 8. That's right. 9, 10, and 11. We're going to just zoom right past right now. Are you all with me? The vast majority of those chapters, Paul starts speaking a lot about the Jews and the Gentiles and all that. And it's so wonderful, but I'm not going to take time for that. I'm going to pick it up now. Romans 11. Now, Paul is dictating this to a gentleman named Tertius, the whole book. And as you well know, that so many of these verses in this book could be a whole sermon in and of itself. But it's been just through the Spirit being anointed, and, and, and he's dictating, and he's dictating, and he's dictating, he's talking. He's just finishing up kind of a, a, a passage here about the Jews and how God's going to bring those Jews back in with him. And he starts talking here at verse 30. Just as you, and I'm going to put in parentheses there, Gentiles, so that's pretty much all of us sitting here. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, Have now received mercy. See, up until this point, it was only the Jews that could approach God and had the the atonement and the sacrifices and all this, but now God broke it wide open because of the Jews' disobedience. See, just as you were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as the result of their disobedience, so they too now have become disobedient in order that they too may also receive mercy. As a result of God's mercy to you. Now, how many mercies have we heard so far? Three, and we're only on the, like, two verses here. For God has bound all men over to disobedience. That word bound can sometimes confuse you as if God made you become. But what he did was he just allowed you to become all the way disobedient. God allowed it. Why? So that he may have mercy on them all. Every single man, that was his goal. Every single man. Mercy. That standing before the judge. That knowing your file is larger than anything you could ever bear. Mercy. That moment, that moment when he said, You know what, son? Daughter? Daughter? You don't have to serve the sentence, I will. Mercy, mercy on all. And at that moment, Paul breaks in to the biggest praise and worship service ever. He just absolutely, he's, he's talking about, if you could just imagine all this time talking and realizing what mercy is and realizing the, the pain and the suffering and the punishment and the atonement and, and the compassion and how Jesus, God did it for us and how that all just kind of came to a head, came to a, a, a crux right here, and Paul can't stand it any longer, and I don't know what he was doing. I don't know if he was sewing on a tent while he was dictating to Tertius, if he was walking around, what was happening at that moment, but things change. He stops here, and in verse 33, he stops everything, and he I can just see, this is how I have him, he's throwing his hands in the air. Everybody in the room is just taken aback and he starts crying out oh the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of god how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out and who has known the mind of the lord or who has been his counselor for all of this who has ever given god what god that god should repay him for in th- for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen." The concept of mercy, the concept that God himself paid the price, the concept that we as human beings loaded down with the heavy burden of sin and and shame in our lives through the amazing sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we are freed from it in mercy. And our payment is full. It's not a fake compassion. Oh, you're okay. No, he paid it. It's canceled. It's gone. The reason it's gone is because he fulfilled it. Your mercy stands on something real. Your mercy is a true mercy. It is a perfect mercy. So after this amazing worship service, Chapter 12, verse 1, he kind of calms himself down, takes a deep breath, fixes his hair. That was good. Now what do we do? So verse 1 of chapter 12, therefore. Because of all that, now we're going to take a shift again. Therefore, I urge you. Some of your Bibles say, I beseech you. Some of your Bibles should say, I beg you. Because of that amazing moment. Oh, okay. So because of that, now, I beg of you, I beseech of you, I urge you. In view of God's mercy. In view of that. Don't ever, leave, don't ever let that lose. Always see it on the horizon of your life. Always see it the way you, where you walk and how you do. In view of his mercy. Now, offer your bodies. A living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing will. Now, I started this whole series off weeks ago asking you, what is more important to God? You know, your heart on the inside or how you act on the outside? And we were all kind of like, eh, you know, eh. And then we all kind of decided it was on the inside. But God is ever so, ever so interested in our outside too. But now you have to understand that your outside is driven by the mercy of God. Now you have to understand that you are now a walking around sacrifice. The other sacrifices all had to die and spill their blood. Jesus Christ died and spilled his blood once and all for all for you so that now you live. And this mercy of God and I'm almost done. This mercy of God is not a Whamby-pamby, weak mercy. Mercy, mercy. No, God's mercy is a fervent mercy. Because remember, where mercy is found, it's the foundation of the cross. Where complete and holy justice meets complete and holy compassion. And that's where mercy is. Mercy is a very fervent mercy. God lives mercy and it's alive to him. It's a fervent one. It costs. It pays. It, it exacts from him constantly. Mercy is a very fervent mercy. And now, if you jump down to verse 9, God's going to tell you how to live your life. In view of God's mercy, he asks you to live a merciful life. What does his merciful life sound like? What does it look like? It's a very fervent life, and it's going to cost you, and it's going to be hard. It's going to be amazing, and it's going to produce things that are incredible. Are you ready? He says, verse 9, your love must be sincere. Huh, I can't just use human love anymore? Nope, it has to start becoming sincere. Okay, that's a little bit more than just lovey love. No, your love better stink and start getting sincere. He wants you to live fervently and passionately because you live in his fervent passion, mercy. Your love will be sincere. Let's all stand as I finish reading this. And band, come on up. Your love must be sincere. No longer will it be fleshly and humanly. I call to you, he says, and hate what is evil. Don't just not like it. Don't see it as just an inconvenience. I want you to hate evil hate evil. This is fervent. Cling to what is good. Not just, you know, whatever, if it's easy. He says, no, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never lack zeal. Well, I'm kind of tired. I'm a little burned out. I've had to work in the nursery, I've had to do this, I've had to do that, i got to cook food, I'm a little burned out. No, God says, don't you ever lack zeal. And if you ever start lacking zeal, why don't you just take a walk back to the cross and you stand there in front of the judge and you see his mercies. And in view of those mercies, yeah, I think I can do that. Keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Come on, what's stopping you? What's stopping you? What's keeping you complacent? Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Wait a minute, you're asking too much of me now. No, I'm asking you to be in, in, view, in view of God's fervent mercy for you and, and in view of his holy justice and his complete compassion. Now you live a merciful, fervent life. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn. Weep with those who mourn and weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. And my most favorite verse, if it is at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my friends. Leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay on the on Contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning clo- coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the fervent, merciful life that God calls us to. Why? Because he is fervently merciful on you, to you. And he wants to be fervently merciful through you. Because remember, our hearts reside in heaven, in heavenly places. But our body is still tethered here in this, this world. And he's got you just where he wants you because he wants you to be showing this world his fervent mercy. That's your job. Hallelujah. Let's close our eyes. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you right now. Let's turn out the lights a little bit. Let's turn out the lights. Father God, in Jesus' name, first of all, throw your hands in the air. Thank you, Father God, that you paid my price. I couldn't do it. It was going to require eternity in hell. And you paid my price. And I no longer have to go there. I don't have to do it. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your mercy. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your incredible justice. That this is not just swept under the rug, but it has been cleansed and paid for in Jesus' name. And I am forgiven. I am acquitted. I have been atoned for and I am loved. Remember chapter 8? Now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just let that freedom just flow over you right now. Just let that freedom flow over you in Jesus' name. Let the work of the Holy Spirit flow over you. Now. Now. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. One that has not ceased to breathe and move, but now will accomplish the Lord's will day in, day out, through your voice, through your words, through your eyes, through your actions, through your your behavior, through all of this, and take on a fervent, merciful life in Jesus' name. Some of you need to forgive some people. Some of you guys need to let some things go. Some of you guys need to take care of some things. Some of you guys need to let some things go. Some of you guys need to step into a little bit more fervent mercy. In Jesus' name. I want the prayer partners to come on up here. We're going to worship. And if this word has hit you in your heart, I want to encourage you to just make it happen. Maybe just solidify it in your heart. To make it happen. Let's get some more prayer partners up here, and we're going to sing this song. And I want to just encourage you to let Romans 12 settle. Settle, settle, settle. Commit your life to a fervent, merciful life in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Just let the word just settle.